The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. I wanted to say a couple of things to get us started here. First of all, don't confuse that Super Bowl potluck with a Super Bowl party. Like, we're not watching the Super Bowl together, okay? Uh, so that, just clear that up. And second, I want to say uh, about Shay and, and Molly, um, you might uh, send them a card this week, a, a text or something. They're on their way to Texas. He uh, lost his grandmother uh, yesterday, and so they're en route uh, to go be with family at this time. So we want to definitely remember them. And ironically, today um, we're talking about dealing with loss. Um, and certainly when we say that, we think in terms of uh, losing a loved one, like uh, the haddocks have lost. And, and certainly that is a huge loss. But we, like losing uh, a loss, if you will, is a real part of our everyday lives. Like last week, we lost the AFC championship, right? That was a loss. Amen? We lose our hair, right? Like you see a, you see a, a guy who's lost his hair and you don't think, man, when he was a kid, he didn't look like that. It was a loss. We lose our teeth. Like you lose your teeth, you lose your baby teeth, and then you get better teeth, and sometimes you lose those teeth and you get dentures. You lose your vision. Like, man, if I do not have my contacts in, I cannot see anything, and, and it is just lo- like it's just getting progressively worse. Um, that I, you know, I don't have to have a, a real strong prescription, but without something, man, I, I can't hardly see anything. Uh, we lose um, we lose our hearing. <laughs> That's one's got got me right now. What? Huh? What'd you say? And I find myself leaning in a lot, especially in the lobby. Whoa, it's awful out there. Uh, so all kinds of loss, man. We we just lose. We sometimes we lose friendships. Like you, sometimes you have a friendship, and then all of a sudden they choose another friend, and you you lose that. Sometimes we lose in financial deals. Sometimes we lose. In, in positions and jobs. So loss is like, I mean, it's a part of uh, everyday life, and we don't really talk about it a lot. And it doesn't mean that you're a loser if you, if you have a loss. It's just part of life. Like, we, we have losses. And so today we look at David, and um, we see uh, him learning some very important, here teaching us some very important life lessons about dealing with loss. And um, I found it to be incredibly encouraging. And so it's um, 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're nearing the end of this study, which I've had a great time. Uh, there's one more chapter following this one. And, and uh, it's, it's been a fascinating journey for me as I've, I've unpacked and learned things in Scripture that I've never seen before. And so like uh, to, today we're going to talk about uh, dealing with loss. And if you, if you remember, last, last week we sort of left off at this place where... Uh, the Philistine king, where David had been living in the Philistine territory, trying to hide from uh, Saul and stay away from him because Saul was trying to kill him. So he couldn't live in the Israelite territory. So he fled to enemy territory. He's living there. And, and the king has told him, the, the king uh, Akish of, of the Philistines, has said, you're going to battle with us. We're going to battle against Israel. And so you need to be there. You need to show up. And he says, all right, you'll see what I can do. I'm going to be there. And so he rallies his men, he takes his 600 men, and they march for three days, and they go to show up 
for this battle. Now, just imagine, let's just kind of go and try to get in David's mind and his men's mind where he's at in this particular juncture of his life. Man, he's going to have to go fight against his home country, like his brethren, man. Like, he's going to have to go fight against the Israelites. And he, like, is it, like they're enemies of the Philistines, and he's been hiding amongst them. And so he's, he's got this terrible situation that he's worried sick over as he's marching three days. And all of the men, 600 men, have gotten their orders from David as they live in Siklag now. And, and that's the territory that have been given to them. So their home now is in Siklag in the Philistine-controlled uh, territory. And David says, we gotta go, we gotta go to battle, man. And so all the men are meeting with their wives and like they're saying, man, we, we gotta go and we gotta go to war and we're going to fight the Israelites. Honey, honey, what are you gonna do? Like my cousin, like my brother. What are you gonna do? I don't know. I don't know what we're gonna do. Just overwhelming experience, man. And they're like, I, I guess, you know, we'll figure it out. Um, and so they're marching this three-day journey, worried, sick, no doubt, about what they're going to do to get out of a bad situation. And so as they're on their way, um, they get there, and some of the Philistines have told King Achish, man, that dude is not fighting with us. Like, have you not heard the songs about him? Like Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his tens of thousands. Man, he might turn on us. If he's in the back of the enemy and all of a sudden we're in the between them and he, he starts like, we, we can't trust him. You may trust him, but we don't trust him. And so Akish listens to him. He says, all right, David, you're, you're not going to be able to fight. And he, he sends him back home. Whew. And they're excited. They're like, man, a three-day journey. I miss my, my wife. I miss my kids. I can't wait to get home. There's a skip in their step. They're making the three-day march all the way back to Siklag. And they're just excited. Man, the Lord has come through. They don't have to go uh, uh, to battle against their home um, nation. And as they're, man, they're making their way. And they can't wait to tell um, their wives and their kids how the Lord showed up. And he just, man, he helped them and delivered them in this situation. And, and they're excited. It's like, man, I didn't know what we were going to do. And they're like marching. And they're like, come over the hill, man. And they see some smoke off in the distance. And they start to pick up pace. And they get back to Siklag. And their entire town is burnt to the ground. Their families are gone. Their livestock is gone. Anything of any value is gone. And man, they're crushed. They go from this high of not being of anticipation of, and being excited to see their families to this low of not knowing where their families are at, what the condition of their families are, all of the hard work that they've invested in this place is gone, and the Scripture says they wept until they could weep no more. The men are, men. they're broken. Like some of them, no doubt, had brand new children. Some of them had probably one-year-olds and two-year-olds, and you know how, like they had all ages of children, their wives, they, they, everything, man, it's just gone, and it's burned to the ground, man. It's an awful situation for them to come home to, and they're weeping until they can weep no more, and David is among the ones that are weeping. His family has gone too, and as they're weeping, man, some of them began to murmur and talk. This is David's fault. He's the one that brought us over here. My whole family is gone because of his leadership. 
And we ought to just, like, we ought to take him out. We ought to stone him. And David, in his grief, in his weeping, hears this talk coming toward him. And, and he, he knows that they're, they're saying these things. Because you can't, like, you just would know. And so what he does is it says, the, the, the word says that he finds strength in the Lord. And he calls to the high priest and he says, bring me the ephod. Now the ephod is where they kept the Urim and the Thummim and they would inquire of the Lord. Remember that up until the time of the Holy Spirit, there was a lot of casting of lots and the Lord would speak through the casting of lot. He'd give a yes or no answer. And so he called for the high priest and he sat with the Lord and he began to pray and, and talk to the Lord about, Lord, should I go after them? Should I pursue them? Will I overtake them? So we're thinking in our minds, why in the world would a, a, a husband, a father be asking that question? Like, wouldn't he immediately know I'm going to, to, to take revenge on what has happened to my home and my wife? Well, here's the problem. The Philistines are gone to battle. The Israelites are gone to, to war as well with each other. And, and so all of David's homeland, the Israelites, are fighting all of the people that he has now allied himself with in Philistine, they're gone fighting. All of those men are gone fighting. And the Amalekites severely outnumbered David and his men. And so it was a mismatch. Like there was, like it was another David and Goliath situation in his life. Like he was going to have to go to battle. And so he's talking to the Lord, men, should I do this? Like, will I end up just annihilating all of my men as well? Are they going to get destroyed in this battle? What should I do, Lord? And he's inquiring of the Lord because it's going to take the hand of God to deliver him from the situation that he finds himself in. And so he's sitting with the Lord and he's, he's praying, he's talking, the lot, lot is cast, should I go? Yes. Should, 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 will I have success? Yes, you will have success. And so he begins to find the strength in the Lord that, that the Lord has promised him that this is going to, that he's going to help him and be in the midst of the battle. And so he starts to spread the word to the men who are going after him. They don't know where they are. They have no idea where they're at. And so we look at the Amalekites, and here's the thing, because sometimes we read the Scripture and we go, man, why would the Lord call on, on Israel to wipe out a nation like that? Well, the Amalekites, man, they were known for doing this kind of stuff. They literally went in and attacked women and children. They would always go and attack people who were not fortified. They would, they would go after the vulnerable. So that not only had they attacked um, Siklag, uh, they had attacked a lot of the Philistine territory and some of the towns uh, in Judah as well. And so they, they knew all of these people were off the war. And so they went in and they just attacked the women and children and did what they wanted and took everything that they had. And that's the kind of people they were. They did it to Israel when Israel was coming out of bondage in Egypt and the Lord was leading them through the wilderness. They would continually attack um, Israel and, and, and that's why God had issued that decree because they were an evil people um, and they, they, were, they were thieves, if you will. They weren't civil. Um, and they, were, they, were, they just would come in and take advantage of people. And so like they're on their way and David receives this word from the Lord to go after them that, that God will help him. He says, I will help you in the midst of um, uh, 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 finding them and, and taking uh, back what has been taken from you. So David and his 600 men set out on mission, and they don't know where they're going. They're just searching. And so, man, they're, they're, they've marched three days to the place to meet Akish. Then they told them that you don't have to go. So they had to march three days home. They are in emotionally, they're spent. They're like, oh, my God, my family is gone 
My home has been burned to the ground. They've wept till they can weep no more tears. I mean, they are as low as you can get. And now they're marching again. They are fatigued. They didn't have any supplies to take with them because everything had been taken. So they just had the stuff that they had already had that they had taken with them on the first journey. And they're marching, man. And as they're marching, and David is trying to keep the troops up, and we're gonna. The Lord has told me we're like he's he's told me we're gonna we're gonna figure this out, man. The Lord is in this. He's in the mix and what's happening. And so they're they're marching, and all of a sudden, man, some of the guys they just can't go on anymore. And that's understandable. Like they've marched for well over six days, probably more like eight or nine, maybe 10 days. We don't know exactly how long into the journey, but 200 of the men were just exhausted. They Emotionally, they were exhausted. Physically, they were exhausted. They probably had to ration all the supplies they had, so they probably were um, starving to death and had no energy, and they just, like, they just gave up, man. David, we can't go anymore. So he's outnumbered with 600 men, and now he's reduced to 400. And so like things go from bad to worse. And so what does David do? He says, you guys stay here with the stuff. We'll, we'll lighten our load. You can watch the stuff and the rest of us will go on. And so the 400 men, man, they're, 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 they're continuing. You know they're going at a frantic pace because they're worried about their children. They're not just fighting for country anymore. They're fighting for literally their families. Like they are concerned about their wives and their children um, their sons, their daughters, their their mothers, like man, they're they're, they're so they're they're moving as fast as they can, and they, they and all of a sudden, man, one of them looks off in the distance and he sees something. And he says, "That looks odd," and he goes over and and he looks down on the and 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 it happens to be a slave who's lying there, and he is sick, and he's starving to death, and he they like they don't know who he is, and so they 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 come over and. They don't know what to do with him. And, and David says, man, get out some Gatorade and a power bar, right? And they feed this dude some fig cakes and stuff, man, some high-protein stuff. They get him nourished. They get him hydrated, and they get him to come to, and they're like, who are you, man? He says, I am an Egyptian slave that was owned by an Amalekite. What are you doing out here in the middle of nowhere in the desert? And he said, man, we, we went and we raided these towns and we burned Siklag to the ground. And I fell ill and my master just left me behind. That's the kind of people these guys were. Just left him out there in the middle of the desert. He had no value to him. And so like, they said, man, so David says, well, can you take us to these people? And the slave says, listen, if you swear to me you won't turn me over to my master and you swear to me you won't kill me, I can lead you to them. And so like the journey begins. I like to look at that and see that as a moment of a breadcrumb. Like along the journey, man, when we're struggling and we're trying to figure things out, the Lord will just leave a breadcrumb here and there to keep us encouraged along the way. Because they were probably getting a little bit discouraged after 200 of them couldn't go on. They're down to 400. All of a sudden, a break. We've got intelligence now. We know where they're at. And so the slave leads the man and there. He says, okay, they're going to be right up here. Like, like he doesn't say that, but he had to have said something, right? <laughs> like I'm saying the scripture doesn't say that, right? And so they, they come up, man. They're going to be right over here. And they come up over, I'm, I don't know, they have to sneak stealthily up on the to see what's going on. So somehow they look, and they're down there, man, and they're just having a victory party. 
Like it's a drunken revelry, it says. Like they would they worship pagan gods. They're down there dancing and drinking, and they're just wasted, many of them. They got all this plunder. It's one of the largest plunders they've probably had. Like they, they've got spoils everywhere, livestock and slaves, and all of the women and children. Of, of, of David's women and children and, and his clan. They're all there and, and they've got them in hot, you know, they've got them as prisoners and, and they're down there and they're doing all this stuff. And so there was good news because they were in no condition to, to go into battle. And so they, they, they're down there and David and his men, they go and they rush in, man, and they, they attack them and they fight them from dusk until evening of the next day. And it says only 400 of them were able to get away. So 400 young men on camels uh, uh, rode off. And so like that gives us a number. The author is trying to tell us that there was a significant number of people there, and some of them made their escape. And we don't hear of the Amalekites again for a long time in Scripture. And so like, um, well, they, they, like David and them, they recover everything. Their wives, their children, everybody's alive, man, and it is a great victory. And they have the spoils of war. Not only do they have all of their stuff, they have all of the stuff that the Amalekites had stolen from the Philistines in several Philistine territories, as well as from Judah. And so they take all the plunder, man, and they're marching back home to Siklag. They've got their families. They're excited, and they're on their way. They can't wait to get to the 200 they left behind. We did it. We did it. We did it. And so they come up to the 200 that are left behind, and, and the men come out to greet David, and they're excited to see their families as well. And, and David is excited, and they see all this stuff. And some of the men, it's just the evil troublemakers in the camp, they started to say, men, they can have their wives and children back, but they don't get any of this other stuff because they didn't go and fight. And division starts to rise up in the midst of uh, under David's leadership. And we remember the troublemakers when Saul was assuming his um, uh, assuming the throne and he was anointed as king. There were evil troublemakers there. And remember what he did? Nothing. And it ended up costing him. But we see the integrity of David. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't, don't act like that, dudes. The Lord just gave us this battle. What we have here did not just come from our own hand. It was the power of God that has blessed us. And we will share with the men who stayed behind just like we shared with the men who went forward. And, and so he sets a precedent for the kingdom, man, about how to keep unity and, and that, that every job is important and, and every person is important. And so as he does that, man, he, he sort of puts to bed this, he silences these troublemakers and he leads. And that's one of the reasons he is such a great king. And he puts a stop to the division. They arrive home at Siklag, and Dave takes the abundance. It says, if you read the story, and I hope you will later in, in chapter 30, it says that they took all of, they took a bunch of the plunder and they marched it ahead of, of, of a lot of it. There was so much, and they said, this is David's. And that's what would happen during these biblical times is that, that whoever was the leader would be blessed with an abundance of more um, because he led them through that. And so they had a, a special portion that was carved out for David that, you know, sheep, sheep and goats and, and all kinds. Who all knows, who knows what all was in, in, in the midst of that, all those valuables, but they were reserved as David's. And so they get back to Siklag and all the men have their stuff and the families. And, and what does David do? He sits down. And he sends, he takes all of that stuff that was given to him. 
And he sends some to the elders in all the areas that they had traveled in Judah and Israel. All that ter- during the time of hiding where they were running from Saul, they spent time in all these different um, towns or villages, if you will. And so David sends some of the plunder. Some of it had been stolen from them, but some of it hadn't. And David just sends it as an offering, as a gift to them. And he's looking, he's looking, man, the Lord has blessed me abundantly. And so what does David do with the plunder? He blesses God's people with it. And, and so when we, we, we look at that, we see, man, this is a really cool thing that David is doing here. And so like, we go, oh man, good story, Jimmy, good story. What are the takeaways? Here they are. Sometimes God doesn't make sense. Like there's no doubt in David's mind as he's trying to pursue the Lord, as he's trying to follow God's plan and he comes home and he sees that his home has not been protected. He sees that his home is burned to the ground. His wife, his wives are, are, are gone and all the wives and the children are gone. He's got to be thinking to himself, where are you, Lord? How could you have let this happen? And so after marching three days, he's told to go home. He's excited. He's, he, he's been protected from a bad situation, but now things are horrible. How could the Lord have let this happen? It was a bad day in all of their lives, but it was even worse for David because they were talking of stoning him. And so I look at that and I go, man, that's the way life is. Sometimes life or the Lord just doesn't make sense. Sometimes things happen and I I just can't make sense of them. I go, why is this happening? Like, why is this happening to me? I'm trying to follow the Lord. I'm trying to do what is right. Why, why is this being dumped on me in this moment in time? And that's, that, man, my whole life has been that way as I've been following the Lord. There have been several instances where I've scratched my head and not, this doesn't make sense to me. And sometimes it's more severe than others, but there are many times that I scratch, I'm scratching my head going, why, Lord, why is this going on? That's the first takeaway. Here's the second thing. When things don't make sense, it's time to sit with the Lord. Like, that's what David does. Bring me the ephod. And here, this is very important, okay? When you sit with the Lord, you don't try to make sense of it. Like, you're not sitting with the Lord going, Lord, why is this happening? That's not what David is doing. David sits with the Lord, and he's asking, what should I do? What is the next step for me, Lord? I don't know what to do right now. And so when we sit with the Lord, we never want to ask why. We always want to ask what. What do I do next? And when the Lord answers, we take, in, take up the mission of obedience and we walk in it. We just sit with the Lord and we, 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 we go through some kind of loss that doesn't make sense. We're scratching our heads. We sit and we say, Lord, what do I do next? The Lord will vi- reveal to us what to do next. Now, interestingly enough, as he revealed to David what to do next, he did not tell him where they were. He did not tell them how to go about it. He did not tell them tell him how to tell the men. All he told him is that I will be with you. You will succeed. And so David had to figure out everything else. He had to listen to those instru- that, that command of the Lord to go, and he went. And so that's the way it is for us, is that sometimes when the Lord doesn't make sense and we sit with him and he tells us the next thing to do, we just do it. We just step into it. We walk in it. Here's the third takeaway. Don't allow your wits in to become your faith sin. Like as you're walking in obedience and things go from bad to worse, like man, David is in pursuit and 200 men are too exhausted to go on. Could you imagine the conversations that took place when 200 men said, oh, we're just too tired. Some of David's men were like infuriated and probably started calling them 
terrible names, saying terrible things. He had this division like that was about, he could have said, no, you will go on. You will get up and march or I will take your head off right now. Don't forget that the other king who was uh, in leadership was so wicked that he executed all the priests. And so a king could do those types of things, but that's not how David led. He looked at the situation, and um, he did not allow his wits in to become his faith in. And by that, I mean he didn't know what to do except to just keep believing that God would be in it, and he would take the 400, and he wouldn't have 600. He would beat them with 400, and he just let his faith continue to lead him. And so it is understandable why these guys were so tired, but we look at this, and the incredible thing is that David kept uh, on in persistence. And so David didn't abandon the mission, even though it seemed hopeless. Now, I'm reminded of uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans. He talks about Abraham. And as he talks about Abraham, it's a very uh, fascinating scripture. It says in the first part of chapter 4, verse 18, it says, against all hope, Abraham and hope believed. I think the King James renders it like this. He hoped against hope. Like, it didn't look like he could have, he was told he was going to be a father of many nations, and he was an old man, and it didn't look like he was going to have any children, but he hoped against hope. And then it says in verse 20, if you drop down, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do um, what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Why was it credited? Because he never quit believing. Even though he, like, in all, like, in all human, like, logic or reason, in all humanness, he should have quit believing. Everything around him was saying, don't believe. But he kept believing. He had faith. He believed in what? The word of God which is the same thing the Lord asks us to believe in, his word. That's why I am always talking about you can't start watering down the word as a lot of churches are willing to do for culture's sake today. When you start doing that, you have watered your faith down. The word of God is the very thing that we believe in. We wouldn't have anything to talk about if we didn't have the word. And when we start watering it down and say, well, I want to take this part, but not that part, we have watered down our faith. And it doesn't work. We have, we have lowered our faith and it cannot be accounted as righteousness because we believe in the word that teaches us about Jesus. As a matter of fact, the word is called, Jesus was called the word, the logos. And so like we wouldn't even know anything about Jesus without the word. So if we look at all of that and we say, man, we got to understand that our, we, sometimes we have to hope against hope. During times of great loss, we must hope against hope. Why? Because the Lord produces gain from loss. Like the Lord, like he produces gain from loss. These guys end up with more plunder, more stuff than was taken from them. Now, I understand that there are sometimes situations where that is not the case. Like you lose a loved one, you're not going to end up with more because nothing can replace a relationship. But I'm telling you from life experience that even in the loss of a loved one, as painful as it is, there is gain in it that we can learn from the Lord. There is gain from the person. If he knows the Lord, he's gone on to be the Lord. The, the word says to be absent from the body is to be present from, with the Lord. And so to, for, I think Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
Okay? So even in that loss, there is gain. But in the everyday losses, the loss of things that, that, that are hard for us to, to deal with, um, like the AFC championship, right? We'll, we'll find the gain sometime. But in losses of relationships, in losses of experiences, in losses of positions, in losses uh, uh, of things that are just hard for us to navigate through and we don't understand why, the Lord produces gain in the midst of that. Several years ago, I'm going to tell you a story, um, probably around 2014 or so, uh, I've coached my kids' basketball teams uh, since since we moved here. I've I've been involved uh, in their basketball teams. And so Jonah... Uh, I had a group of kids, man, I have them from like the third grade, I think. And I'm like, I'm a, I'm a coach who believes at, the, at this level, I'm a coach. I'm a dad who thinks he's a coach that believes at this level, right? <laughs> that all they need to learn, like it, the whole plays and all of that, like a third grade, like a kid can barely hold the basketball, right? So he needs to be learning how to dribble. He needs to learn how to pass, move the ball up the court, and try to score, okay? So I constantly was drilling into my team, this is what you do, and it was hard for them. I was teaching them to do drills that I did in college when they were in, in, in third grade, and some of the concepts was hard for them, and I, and I think some of the parents were scratching their heads. A few of them were going, what is he doing? Well, I was coaching for the fifth and sixth grade. Like I was trying to get them to understand something that would carry all the way through life. This is the way you play basketball. This is the way you play it unselfishly. You always keep your head up, try to move the ball down the court as fast as you possibly can. And so what happened is, um, I, think it was the, I, don't, I think it was after the second season, and I had one kid, man, he, he, was, he was something else. He could shoot lights out. He was dynamite. And I had a great relationship with this kid. And... Um, so a couple of the parents got together and decided that they would leave the team. And they, they talked this kid into going with them. And I'm like, going, how did that happen? I, like, I know that kid loves me. Like, and so it, they were persuaded to go. And man, I, it hurt. Like I, was, I, don't, I don't only have enough kids now. I still had kids, but I didn't have enough to really make a team. Lo and behold, I had made friends with another coach um, that uh, uh, Jonah's, I don't know how we, we, we met this guy, but he ended up with two teams. And we were friends, and he knew about, like he, had, he and I were talking about the situation. I don't know if I told him about it or what, but he ended up with two teams. One his son was on, and, and he had all these extra boys, and he, he had too many. And so he said, here's what I'm going to do since you don't know all of these um, uh, parents and kids he said, you come help me with this second team and bring your kids over and we'll have enough to, I'll take these kids off of my other team and we'll have two teams. And I'll be the coach and you could be the assistant. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. That's cool. That's what we'll do. And so we did that. And so I like, I had to really be humble in the midst of that. I said, oh, that's not that big. It was a big deal, man. It was a big deal to me. Like it hurt. And so, uh, and so, so we do. And we formed this team. And his, the other team that he had was in a division above ours, okay? So he was in a higher division than we were. So we go through the season, and 
we're undefeated. We actually face the team that I lost a few boys and just smoked them. Like, I mean, we smoked them. It was like a remember the Titans, leave no doubt. And, and so, so we, we, we went undefeated. And since we went undefeated, we got moved up in the postseason tournament to the higher division. We, we ran the bracket, and it was his other team and this team that were in the finals. And he could only coach one. And I got to coach against him in that game, and we won. Like, amen. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so, so it's a simple story. Like, I saw the Lord in that, man. I saw the, because, man, there was part of me when that happened. I wanted to get on the phone and say, man, what, I thought we were friends. How could you do this to me? And I, I wanted to do all these things. Like, my mind, I was, when I was talking, you know when uh, he said to himself, Remember when we had that sermon a couple weeks ago? I was trying to talk to myself, and the Lord got a hold of me. I sat with the Lord. Let it go, Jimmy. I got your back. I've always had your back. And he did. And that's how it worked out. And it was a gain from a loss. I can tell you so many stories, like just story after story of how I've experienced something that felt like loss, that as I've trusted the Lord, there was nothing but gain in it. Now, I couldn't see the gain in the midst of feeling the pain of the loss, but as I went down the road, man, I could look and say, whoa, look at all that the Lord did in the midst of that. And so that brings us to the big idea, okay, is share your gains. That's what this story is about, man. David had all these gains. They came from a loss, and what did he do with them? He shared them. He was a giver, not a taker. And, and he shared the gain with the elders in the Israel. And he shared the gain with the guys who couldn't go on, that everybody else thought that they shouldn't have been able to share in the spoils. He made sure that he shared with them. And this was essential. And here's what I love about how when we're obedient and walking in faith, how the Lord takes care of us. This was essential because little did he know he was about to move home and be crowned as the king of Israel. In three days... A guy shows up in Siklag that is still burned to the ground, and he has the crown of Saul and his sword, and he gives it to David. Saul is deceased. You are the anointed king. And what did he do? He didn't know that was going to happen. But three days earlier, he had just sent gifts to all these elders all over Israel. And that is the Lord working in the midst of the situation. You see, it's almost like we look at that and go, why would God let that happen? Maybe God let it happen so that he could get all those spoils to pave the way for him to become an incredible leader in the kingdom of Israel. And so sometimes when it doesn't make sense to us, it makes perfect sense to the Lord. I want to close with this story, or not this story, this scripture. Some of you, you may be like going through some loss right now. You're like, man, I, I don't know how to navigate through this. I want, to, I want to read this passage of Scripture in the context of the sermon we've just heard. It's out of Philippians chapter 3. A lot of times you see the verse that is stamped on T-shirts, Christian T-shirts, press on toward the mark of the high calling of Christ. Right? It's in this passage, but it, you need to read it in its full context. When do you press on? And this is what it says. 
Philippians 3, 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Amen? Press on. Like press on. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.